I'm Alex and this is the Northern Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode four. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Kath and Chris. Good evening. How are you? I'm good evening. Very well, thank you. Still standing. <laughs> yeah, still been standing. standing yeah. for a week. <laughs> a week on. <laughs> yes, I know. It's been ridiculous. I think I might have a problem. Oh, no. Have I talked about socks before? Oh, no. Go on, socks. And how socks are a source of happiness for me. Um, no, I got a delivery of new socks today. Um, the fun never stops in the Thompson household. You might say that, Alex. But actually, when you get to my age, a decent pair of socks is just the business. And I've now got eight pairs of new socks. And they're lovely and stripy and colourful. I used to kind of go for black socks all the time. Did you buy eight pairs of socks all at the same time? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't do it one at a time. I'm, I'm, going, to as, uh, I'm going to aspire to your shopping habits. Yeah. But the thing is, now, now they've arrived and they're perfect, you know, they're nicely folded and they're still in the little, um, the little clip at the top. You don't want just to wear don't them. Want, I don't want to wear them. Because <laughs> it makes you happy just to look at the box. Yeah. I was sat in my room doing my homework for this podcast today. I just kind of, you know, rubbing the socks, <laughs> just kind of a little stress toys. I think this is great. So I'm never going to wear them. Or at least maybe I just keep one pair of socks back and that'll be my, my little stress toy. No, I'd, I'd buy another eight pairs. All right. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take I have that. got a sock drawer with, which has got two pairs of socks in that I've never worn. And every time I go in the drawer, I look at them and think, oh, I should wear them. No, nope, they're too nice to wear. <laughs> Can we ask people to write in with their own sock stories? Oh, definitely, yes. That would be yeah, good. Because yeah. they, they, they do give you happiness, definitely. Yeah, just for, just for the people at home listening to the podcast, the, the look on Alex's face right now is classic. <laughs> it's like, what have I walked into? What has happened to my previously reliable podcast team? Yeah, I'm just thinking of poor Michael being introduced with some sock stories. I, I don't know whether he'll be impressed. <laughs> Maybe he will. This week, we talk to Michael Cunliffe. Uh, Michael is an artist who specialises in dark art which is something that I was aware of, uh, but didn't really know a huge amount about. So it was really interesting to find out a little bit more about it and how the process of painting his dark art brings him happiness. He also works at North Tyneside Art Studio, which supports people with mental health issues. We had a really fascinating discussion about art and how it can be used to maintain positive mental health. So enough of me talking, here's Michael. So, Michael, a very warm welcome to the Northern Guide to Happiness. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Um, it's a lovely sunny day where I am. I don't know what it's like where you are. Um, I'm very thankful that the little digger over the road hasn't turned up. Because <laughs> <laughs> the decibels on the digger would not be good on the recording. So I'm glad that he hasn't turned up today. But how are you? <laughs> I'm 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 doing well. I thank you very much for for having me on. The the sun's shining at this end as well, and um, most of the kids are packed off to school, so I've got a relatively quiet house. It's uh, a nice change after the last few months, so um, I'm doing well. Good, good. I can see. I mean, obviously, the the, the, the listeners can't see um, where we are as we're recording, but I'm just kind of looking behind you, and there's some greater uh, pieces behind you. You're sitting in your studio. 
Yes, yeah. Um, for for anyone who does want to see uh, where I'm sat, um, I'm sure we'll get onto it later. But I've been running uh, art for mental health sessions online from my home studio for most of the past year. So um, I've kind of got used to to using this as a broadcast space as well as a as an art studio. So um, yeah, paintings and chaos and skulls for drawing and stuff are all over the place here. It sounds intriguing, but yeah, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later on. Um, how's your week been so far? It's been uh, it's been busy. Um, it's uh, been a, a real mix of things starting up again at work. So um, at North Tyneside Art Studio, where I work, we're uh, we're back open. We've got members coming in. Um, so I've been I've been seeing people every day, which has been which has been absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, it's it's real cha- gear change. Yeah, it so. takes a real sort of brain shift, doesn't it? From being so virtual for so long to to seeing people again. I was the same. I was at uh, I was in the office yesterday, and uh, yes, seeing real people <laughs> was was a bit <laughs> odd. <laughs> but is it good to be yeah. back? Good to be back in the studio. Absolutely, yeah. It's fantastic just to be working with people face to face again, or mask to mask as it is at the yeah, moment yeah. um but you can just kind of really see the impact of of getting involved with art and what that what that does for people and it's also really nice to have a, a clearer division between being at work and being at home um because over the past year those those boundaries have just completely gone uh, <laughs> it's it's been That's working something. the hours at Raydor. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's something that I've found really hard is that differentiation between work and home when you're at home all the time. And that's, yeah, in, in terms of my happiness levels has, yeah, has been challenging at times, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how have you found that uh, working from home? Oh, it's been it's been quite the challenge. Um, I mean, we, we closed our doors March last year Um and I, I, I had all sorts of very, uh, very foolish notions about, oh, good, you know, I'll have more time at home. I'll be able to paint on my do my own thing. And, you know, it'll be lovely. But um, no, not so much. So I've <laughs> been juggling uh, kind of, as I say, running online sessions, trying to keep up with um, various funding bids and applications. Obviously, the joys of homeschool. I've got. Um, oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Two, <laughs> two, two lads, uh, one of whom was is in year two now and the other one had started nursery so we had two very different homeschool priorities there and uh, my wife gave birth to our third son um in november so you know we we had all of that all of that on top of it as well so it's been it's been quite the year um but i do try to look for the positives uh and one of the the really great things is is actually that paternity leave is always painfully short you know a couple of weeks mm. and mm. I managed to save quite a bit of leave because you know what holiday time were we taking and um, thanks thanks to the, the furlough scheme as well because we couldn't open at certain times I actually managed to get two months of paternity leave so I've managed to have two months with my family which is absolutely incredible uh, even if a lot of it was was uh, shouting at my children to do the homework <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we had our eldest and yes, uh, my husband had to go back to work after two weeks and I was like, you can't leave me. <laughs> you can't leave me alone with a two week old baby. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so oh, it must have been nice then. Yes, being at home with, with a newborn baby, you know, 
difficult, I suppose, as well, because you, you hadn't didn't have access to, I suppose, the usual, you know, baby classes and things like that, or, or did you? Yeah, no, no, um, sort of didn't have any of that in place. Um, and the real the real difficult thing was, of course, um, I, I couldn't attend any any of the appointments during the pregnancy, so. Mm. All of the scans, all of the the midwife appointments, all, all those sort of places where normally I'd be there to to support support my wife, I, I wasn't allowed in. So that was extremely stressful for her as well as me, um, and hugely frustrating. Um, but but now that we're out the other side of it, it's it's wonderful. Um, he's he's absolutely canny, so um, I'm very 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 happy now. <laughs> You look very happy. <laughs> so tell me about the art studio then. So when when you're not, um, you know, when you when you're not at home with the children and babies, uh, you're working at the art studio. Tell me about it. What's it all about? Yeah. So North Tyneside Art Studio um, is a is a space for people who are experiencing mental health issues to get to uh, explore their creativity. Um, there's a huge amount of research coming out now um, that shows that clear link between being creative, uh, being involved in the arts and positive mental health. Now, the we've, we've been open since 1991. Um, I wasn't there at the time. Um, I, I've only been, I've only been there for a few years, but, um, but we, we started off as essentially the extension of an artist residency at Rake Lane Mental Health Unit. So when we first started, it was very much in that, um, I don't want to call it necessarily a panic, but uh, the care in the community headlines that yeah. that the Sun liked to put out, um, the tabloids were all, were all convinced that, that having people with mental health issues in the community was going to be, you know, the end of days and yeah. very dangerous and all this kind of thing. So... It was a very small project. Um, the artist was working with, I think, about eight people, um, and they took over a space at the old Linskill School in in North Shields that used to be a, a metal shop workshop. Um, since then, we now have the entire building to ourselves. Um, so there's a separate. What was an old woodwork, metalwork kind of garage out the back of the Linskill Centre is is our a dedicated studio space. I think we worked with about 200 people in 2019, um, mm -hmm. some of whom have been members for a very long time, some of whom were, were new starters, they'd just come in, and all of them have a, a real range of mental health issues and backgrounds. So we have people who are dealing with isolation, loneliness, um, stress for, from job changes, from life changes, all the way through to people who have... Um, lifelong diagnoses and they, they're using the studio to help support their ongoing mental health so people come in to us in a, in a range of different situations um, but we have that commonality of understanding um, mm. something I always say to people is it's a space where if in the middle of a conversation you just have to get up and leave you know you just you just need to get outside you just need to take five minutes no one's going to think that's odd no one's going to look at you funny for it or wonder what's going on with you. Um, you know, they just understand that sometimes people need a break, give you a few minutes, someone will probably come out and check on you, make sure you're okay. But it's not something you need to be ashamed of or, or worried about. 
So in that environment, what we do is we get people to experience as many different kinds of art as possible. We've got a, a ceramic studio where we, we fire our work on site so people can experiment with, with that kind of process. Uh, we have wheels so people, if they want to learn how to throw pottery, we, we help them with that. Uh, we have a stained glass group which is run by our members. It's fantastic, so people make beautiful things there. We do workshops in painting and drawing. We bring in professional artists to kind of guide people. But unlike art school, um, which I think most people have this kind of uh, perception that they can't draw, you know, or, you know, I went to school and I wasn't any good at that, you know. Um, I can't draw, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lie, Alex. It's a lie. Come to the studio. We'll show you you can. Um, ev everyone can be creative. Everyone can. Um you know, it, it makes us happy. In whatever way people do it, everyone's creative. Uh, and it's hugely beneficial, but there's this perception, and I, and I have to admit, sometimes we artists don't help it, um, that, that art is a special thing that only certain mm. people can do. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not true at all. All children draw, all children paint, and they love it. And we tell them they're brilliant at it. And, and oh, you know, oh, it's beautiful. I'm going to put it on the fridge. And at some point in our life, we stop. Yeah. Uh, we stop putting people's work on our fridge. And then they start thinking they can't do it. And it's those those of us who, who don't take that hint uh, end up end up enjoying art. So so that's what, what we try and encourage people to do is discover the way they draw. Um, and we don't have a big fridge. Uh, we do have a lot of exhibitions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> proper exhibitions and we have people who come in and say oh you know i can't draw i'm never going to be be any good and you know 12 months later they've they've got work up in a in a gallery or a cafe or that you know they're bringing their friends to see a show that we've put on and it's fantastic it's about finding that i suppose that that medium that technique that appeals to you isn't it and, and some people will enjoy the ceramics Whereas other people will enjoy perhaps the more sort of fine art painting. Others might want to just be a bit more crafty. It's about finding that, that thing that you're comfortable with, I suppose, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. That, that's one of the reasons we have such a varied programme. You know, um, it's, it's really common for people to sort of, oh, I can't paint, I can't draw. And then they'll get into a printmaking workshop and it will just click for them. Mm. Or they'll say, "Oh, I can't, I can't do that." And they go, "Well, give it a go." And the next thing you know, they're 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 over the moon at doing proggy or knitting or whatever it might be. And I often say to people that uh, some people come with this this perception that you you go into an art studio, you come to our space because you'll see beautiful paintings, you'll see incredible ceramic pieces. Oh well, that's that's where I'm supposed to go, and it's not uncommon that people try all these things and they make beautiful works and they end up going, well, actually the thing that works for me is knitting jumpers. You know, I like knitting mm. jumpers for my grandkids or whatever mm. it might be. And when we say fantastic, that's, that's your thing. You know, you don't have to feel that that's somehow lesser just because the art world is kind of set up with this slight hierarchy, you know, textiles is always the poor cousin in, in, in exhibitions and, you know, official art settings but it's one of the most uh, expressive and tactile art forms that you can get involved in so you know give it yeah, a go I, mean, I was i was watching the the great british sewing bee the other night and i was like i couldn't make any of those things that those people have have put together 
in a few hours absolutely no way and you know I, I know various kind of knit and natter groups and you know a, a friend of mine is br you know brilliant at crochet and just produces things you know within <laughs> within a couple of hours and it's like I, I, there's no way I could do that it takes a, a skill it's definitely a skill to do it yeah, absolutely um, a, a different a different skill to to painting um, but no less important absolutely and it's um, also important that that you kind of find your own find your own thing within your art form as well um yeah yeah you know my my own work um it does not appeal to, to everyone it has to be said um so i i specialize in in kind of genre fiction illustrations so that sci-fi fantasy horror and my personal work tends towards uh what's known as dark art so it's a kind of offshoot of surrealism than um, pop surrealism that focuses on darker expressions i guess there's lots of skulls there's lots of strange um twisted bodies and things like that and um i'm actually part of the, the dark art society uh, if anyone's interested in that kind of thing they've got a fantastic podcast um go have a listen there's a lot of very very interesting people doing that kind of work and it's really actually helpful in the work i do at the studio because people will come in and say oh you know, I don't really like drawing bowls of fruit. I'm kind of into, you know, <laughs> tattoos or, you know, I like, you know, anime or manga or, you know, these things that aren't considered proper art. And I'm able to say, mm. well, do you see what I do? You know, this, <laughs> you know, this, this is not commercial, you know, happy. Lots of people want it on their bedroom wall art, but it's what I do. And that was a bit of a journey for me as well to to discover that and really accept it because there is always this external pressure of what you should be in art and we work really really hard to to, to help people get rid of that and find what makes them happy mm. so dark art makes you happy as you say the the actual imagery isn't necessarily happy imagery i suppose in terms of mm. yeah, yes what, what people would normally associate you know sunflowers sun you know nice and happy and, and shiny and, and bright but it obviously brings you happiness can you describe that yeah so it's uh one of those things and i don't know if it's um having mental health issues if it's being an artist um but i spend quite a lot of time thinking about happiness you know about what what that is um mm. And I remember, you know, I always wanted to be an illustrator. I always wanted to, to do that as a job. That was my goal. So you kind of go through school and you go, right, get a degree. I went and studied on a fantastic course. And I remember just, just kind of sitting there with, with these, these works that I'd done and, and my tutors kind of saying, yeah, this, that's not really, you know, there's no work for that. That's not, oh, that's what? not right, you know. <laughs> And because you know they were commercially focused, they were sitting, mm. it wasn't a world they were aware of. So I spent a lot of years kind of like, oh right, well how do I how do I make wine labels in a way that's satisfying to me? How do I, um, <laughs> you know, we, we we did a unit on children's book illustration, and I kind of enjoyed it, but everything was terrifying. You know, it, <laughs> it was not it was not going to fit the brief. So I went through this kind of period of like, oh, God, well, what what was it? You know, 
I remember being being a kid and doing these drawings in in books instead of listening to my chemistry lessons. And what was it about that that that, that made me happy? And the there's a psychologist um, called Mihaly Sixmenhaly who researched happiness. You know, he he wanted to know why artists and musicians talked about this incredible state of of joy when they were creating but he also heard factory workers talking about it he said well these these are not the same thing we can kind of understand how an artist can be filled with with the creative spirit and you know carried away on this this serene happiness journey but why is somebody who's stamping electronic components talking about the same thing and he suggested that there's a difference between something being pleasurable and something being enjoyable. Mm. And so, you know, pleasure is, you know, being given a, a delicious cake to eat, that kind of sugary satisfaction. Yeah, you know, just, you know, I'll have an extra slice, even if I know that later on I'm, I'm going to regret it. Just in the moment, it's wonderful. You know, that's that's pleasurable enjoyable activities are kind of baking a cake to share mm. with your friends so there's a whole process there that, that you're kind of aware of and, and enjoying you know even if even if it's not pleasurable so if a woman decides that she wants a pond in her back garden and she goes right i'm gonna pick up a spade i'm gonna start digging you wouldn't really call digging a big hole pleasurable you know that's not 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 an activity that like, oh yeah, I can't wait to do that. But it can be really enjoyable, you know. Mm. There there is there is a satisfaction in that. There's something comfortable, happy, content in doing that hard work. And when it came to my art, that really kind of resonated with me because what I like to do is kind of get into a zone and just let shapes come into being and see what they turn out to be so there's a a surrealist technique called automatic painting where the idea is you sort of switch off your conscious mind and just let the paint flow and i i don't necessarily believe it it taps directly into your unconscious or any of the the things they claimed but it's a definite sense of absolute contentment of of um just all of those things that you normally have going on in your brain, particularly mm-hmm. if you've got kind of anxiety issues and things like that, they just go away because what you're doing is kind of moving the paint around. And what I do is once I've got that kind of mess, I start to interpret it. And it's um, it, it's an actual, it's a thing called pareidolia, um, which is that tendency of the human brain to kind of see faces in things, to, to, to mm-hmm. create order out of chaos. So... What I'm essentially doing is making a mess, interpreting it, and seeing what I end up with. And invariably, what I end up with is something a little bit sinister and and creepy, and the the bodies aren't the right shape, and it's very dark. But that isn't the, the, the feelings that I associate with it. So when I look back at my art, what I tend to be hit by is that that feeling I had when I was creating it, that that flow as as mm. um, Harley calls it, that, that flow state where actually everything just just exists in the moment and everything's quiet mm. and calm and just seems right. So, yeah, you know, I, I might have a painting of, you know, a faceless person who's 
arms are reaching round a square or, or something like that. But when I look at it, what I'm getting is that sense of peace, that mm-hmm. sense of contentment. Okay. So yeah, that's that's kind of my art. <laughs> so you're talking there about how you you, you know when you, when you start creating something, you don't quite perhaps know where it's going to go. Mm. Is it also that excitement, anticipation as to what's going to happen, that kind of not knowing what's going to happen with the art that's part of that process? Yeah, um, I actually have a kind of a, a strange split process because I also still illustrate. So that's a very different process where you know what you're doing and you've got to problem solve. You know, someone someone has a particular visual problem they want you to solve and there's an enjoyment in that. But for my personal work, yeah, it's that kind of right. I'm giving myself the space and the time to do something and it might go horribly wrong. And I'm not normally the sort of person who likes things going horribly wrong. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an anxious person. Um, I worry about getting things right. But in the context of art, you can't get it wrong. Um, you know, I, I work in oils. Um, they're a really forgiving medium in that respect. So, um, you know, I'll lay a layer of paint down and, and tend to work on it with a rag because you can pull it back off the canvas. You can put it back down. Uh, you kind of beat it up a little bit. Um, it, it, it doesn't judge you. You know, if you sit back after you've been working for two hours and it is literally a mess and it, it's not worked and you're not happy with it, the only kind of irritation or, or discomfort or stress that comes with that is your own you know the the canvas isn't sitting there saying you got this wrong you know it's it's just you going "Ah, that didn't work out Mm -hmm. and what that leaves me with is well I just spent two hours painting you know I've I've got a stack of of boards and and paintings and things which which didn't work out you know Mm -hmm. they they sit there they dry out you paint over the top of them it's part of a, a process and I think that as a I don't want to get too too philosophical but as a society we are geared to seeing end products and artists are particular for this because what we do is we work in our messy dirty cramped studios and then we take our work and we put it on these beautiful white walls <laughs> and we go yeah that's what I do and people come along and give us money for it hopefully Um, often at at very high amounts when you get into the top tiers so there's this whole thing about constructing the idea of art as a product as the finished piece and that can place enormous strain on either people who want to be creative or young artists because you kind of make work and you go this isn't worth money this isn't a finished product and it's like well no the the art the enjoyment is in creating the enjoyment is not necessarily in the finished piece that's that's for that's for your buyers that's for people to view and enjoy that's for your friends and families to go oh i can't believe you did that for for me and i think for for a lot of people it's it's the process of making you know i talk to people a lot in ceramics um, which isn't my chosen medium but i've i've learned a thing or two and I talked to them about, right, if we do this whole session, if you make something and I tell you at the end of the session, you're going to take that mallet and squash it flat. 
what have you actually lost? And the answer is very little because you didn't you didn't have a pot when you walked in to this room. That piece of clay in front of you isn't a potential pot. It's a lump of mud. You know, mm. unless we fire it, it's still a lump of mud. You put it in water, it'll dissolve back down. So the only value in it is is the interaction you've had with with that clay, with that art form. And that's something that I think we don't focus on enough. And it's one of the things that I think really drives the love of art out of particularly children. Because at school, art is about the grades, you know. Yeah. My my lowest grade in all my subjects was art. You know, I, I was oh, not. No. Yeah, no, you look at you look at my school report cards. I should not have been an artist, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, because I didn't make work in the right way to tick the boxes and right, get yeah. the grades. But here I am, you know, I'm an artist. So you've used the word happiness a few times. Hmm. But also the word contentment, pleasure, joy. Is is the word happiness a word that you're comfortable with? Um, or do you prefer to use a different word or words? I, I love words. I've got a real um, I've got a real thing for words. People often tell me I'm I'm a little bit uh, over the top with them. <laughs> I like I like the way words feel. I like long long words, like squamous. Do we need to and... get you on? Do we need to get you on countdown? Uh, I can't spell. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, old, old fashioned. You know, cyclopean is a wonderful word that you don't need, but it's it's wonderful. <laughs> you know. Um, but happiness is, is, I think, something we throw around a lot without having a, a clear meaning on it. I mean, the sometimes we talk about happiness as the absence of sadness, like it's it, it, they're opposites, you know. If you've got kids, they'll do the learn opposites thing, you know, happy and sad are opposite. Mm. But they're not, you know, there have been lots of times in my life when I've been happy and sad at the same time when those those feelings exist together and there are there are things that make me happy there are there are things i can absolutely say make me happy living up north makes me happy you know um the way of life here is is far far better sorry sorry southern listeners um it's true it is true it is very very true um living by the coast makes me hugely happy i love sitting and staring at the sea it's never the same two days in a row just the, the the movement of that wave coming back and forth just just that brings me a great deal of joy um spending time with my wife and my family these these are things that make me happy but that's not the same happiness as when i'm painting it's not the same happiness as sharing a meal with friends it's not the same happiness as reading a book you know where you get kind of lost in a story so it's it's a complicated word that we use to mean a range of different things. Mm. Um, I've I've got no issues with it. You know, I talk about about being happy, but it doesn't always do the job. When I when I talk to people at the studio about making art, about finding the thing that works from them, I don't tend to use happy because it has all these connotations, and actually, a lot of the time what people are seeking is not happiness but that sense of peace 
of 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 flow of everything kind of being just in the moment and ordered and that's something that you know mindfulness is is a technique that lots of people are taught and it it talks about that and a lot of eastern philosophy talks about it you know you need to wash the dishes to wash the dishes or all, all these kind of things it's still a kind of happiness you know if you could go through your whole life being content in every moment that would be better than being happy i think mm. i liked how you used the word peace mm. when talking about people coming into the studio so and you've touched on it already but what what do you do at the studio to help people achieve that contentment that peace it's interesting when i first started at the studio we, we had a fairly simple process you know you'd come through the door welcome to the studio what do you want to do sign up for a workshop find a thing that works for you and Oddly, I always thought of that as being a very kind of um, person-centered approach because people could do whatever they wanted. Uh, what I hadn't appreciated is that it's actually quite intimidating for, for people to, to walk into a space and be like, but I don't know what I like, you know. Mm. You know, a blank piece of paper can be really intimidating. So we actually now have a, a kind of a structured process which we've developed. So... I spent a lot of time kind of with members, talking to members, and I could see that not everyone was finding that sense of peace in the same way. And it wasn't tied to how long they'd been there. It wasn't tied to the particular art form that they were doing. But I could see there were people who... Uh, we had a, a member, Craig, he's a fantastic artist, and he, he paint with um, matchsticks and cocktail sticks in kind of an Aboriginal style. And he just said, it just calms me down. You know, it gives me this sense of, of order to do that. And then someone else was working on um, kind of pouring very thin slip into paper moulds that would then burn off in the kiln. And these were really advanced art techniques but they were they were using the studio in very different ways so i kind of saw that that there were stages that people went through and they mirrored the stages of kind of becoming an artist in many ways that like what we call practice development and we started to build um, a system around that so now when people come to the studio they enter into what we kind of refer to as engage you know, the, it doesn't really matter what you do because the, the real barriers that you, you're you often looking to overcome are just being comfortable in, in another space. And particularly at the moment, that's huge. You know, there are people coming to the studio who are like, I haven't left my house other than to go to the corner shop in a year. So mm. just being in a room with four or five people is huge, you know, and being able to recognize that that is an achievement in itself is fantastic. So we we have what we call the new starters program where you get a little taster of uh, painting, drawing, ceramics and printmaking kind of all led by the same artist, a fantastic artist we work with called Sam Burgess. Um, she's brilliant at just kind of making people feel comfortable and able to take what can feel like a really big risk sometimes and, and it's this this weird thing that you forget as an artist when you've been doing it for a long time that actually the idea of sitting down in a room with other people and saying right 
now we're going to make a painting can be absolutely terrifying you know it, oh, yeah, yeah, i can't do that yeah oh <laughs> yeah you know all of those expectations around oh it's got to go up on a gallery wall they're in your head so we start just by getting over that come in make mistakes talk to people you know the experience of having a mental health issue can be so isolating you know you have so many experiences that you think oh there's something wrong with me no one else feels like this so that's where we start just getting comfortable mm. in the space trying a few things getting used to being around people after a few months we're going to move people into what we kind of refer to as, as enabling so so we actually look more specifically at, at how art helps mental health so it's kind of a, a summary of, of a few different things we've been doing over previous years. So talking about explicitly, you're not making art for money. You know, that's not what we're about here. If you want to be a commercial artist, it's a recipe for heartache. Um, you know, I, I often use myself as an example. I am happy painting weird creatures and skulls and darkness and all this kind of stuff. If I wanted to make lots of money, I'd go start doing pet portraits and, you know, I'd go paint the Priory and all those kinds of stuff that are commercially successful, you know, but I wouldn't be happy doing it. So you find your own thing. Don't don't worry about the end product. Uh, we talk about how to cope with crit um, criticism, because as soon as you create something, people are going to have opinions, including yourself. And. Yeah. I know many professional artists who are very bad at this. Uh, so it's it's not necessarily a technique just for people who are working for their mental health. But, you know, how do you take someone saying, oh, I don't really like your work or, um, you know, that, that that person's nose is too big? And how do you process that? Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of the time people's opinions aren't worth having. Um, or at least until you've figured out what they're really worth, you know, yeah, that person's nose is too big, but it's the first time I've drawn a portrait. So <laughs> your comment is not valid, you know, yeah, shut <laughs> I know that, yeah, I know the nose is too big. Give me a break. Let's see what you've done. Um, you know, it's okay to be offended. You know, everyone, everyone is, it's, it's okay to, to, to live with that. Um, you know, so things like that, how to how to work to a brief. So, you know, time management um, and, and it's just about finding that thing that works for you so that hopefully when people get get through that process, we can say, right, the studio is your is your playground or for many people, they they're like, fantastic. This has been great. I'm going to keep painting at home uh, because we don't want people to have to come to the studio to be creative, you know. For, for some people, that's a, a necessity. It's a thing that they need uh, for, for quite a long period of time. It's what helps maintain their mental health. Um, but, but for others, you know, they're, they're heading back to work or back to their, their daily life. They don't have whole days to, to come and play with us. So they'll paint at home. You know, uh, we have members who've kind of converted spare rooms into studios who carry sketchbooks and draw in their lunch break to, to deal with the stress of work, to... Um, you know who have who have learnt to take those kind of negative emotions, and rather than using an unhealthy coping mechanism, um, they'll they'll turn to art as as a way to support themselves. 
And I think it's a message, that in particular is a message that gets misinterpreted sometimes. You know, you can go to a GP and they will very helpfully say, well, you know, I know you're you're struggling and, you know, maybe next time you you feel like you're going to hurt yourself, maybe do some drawing as though it's as simple as that. And that can be really frustrating and off-putting for people. That's not what we're saying. You know, that that is kind of the end point of a whole journey, a whole journey of exploring what art means to you um, and, and what you can what you can do with it. Um, it's uh, something that's been been explored um, around emotional regulation um, is what it's called. And we actually. Yeah, <laughs> some wonderful research, wonderful, wonderful research done by Daisy Fancourt. Um, as a, I think it was a UCL project into literally how art helps us to regulate our emotions. Uh, okay. And we're actually doing doing work with uh, Simon Hackett, who's an art therapist at Newcastle University, um, to, to embed that into our into our working. So the, it's. Mm it's something that again it's something that makes me happy i like i like that kind of research aspect learning about learning yeah. about lots of different things but um it bores other people silly so <laughs> but but it's great that you're you're responsive to as you say new new research that's coming mm. out new techniques and i suppose that's that's one reason why the art studio has been around if i'm doing my maths right for nearly 30 years yeah um, this is our 30th anniversary yeah. Oh, have you got any exciting plans? They're um, they're all top secret. They're all top secret. They're all top secret. <laughs> got lots of meetings lined up, but um, but yeah, keep your eyes peeled. Sounds good. Do you have any, I suppose, sort of tips, thoughts, ideas for people who perhaps haven't had a piece of art on the fridge for a while? who perhaps have still think I can't draw, I can't do ceramics, whatever it is. What would you say to people to encourage them to get creative? I think the first thing I'd say to people is don't make art, make mistakes. There's this, this huge pressure, you know, oh, I'm going to make art. Uh, you know, and I'm going to do some art today. I'm going to do some art today, yeah. <laughs> And you'll sit on a phone and you'll doodle and, you know, that's fine. But as soon as you sit down with a sketchbook, it's like, I'm going to art now. And (laughs) can't do it. Can't do it. So doodle is a great word. I love doodling. You know, doodle is a word that we use to pretend we're not drawing. So um, (laughs) my, my, my best bit of advice is don't get a sketchbook. Don't have a sketchbook. Have a have a book, a book that you use for stuff. My sketchbook is is full of phone numbers, messages, recipes, shopping lists. Uh, it, it's what I think back in the Victorian era they'd call an everyday book. You know, we, mm-hmm. you needed to make a note, you needed to remember what you're supposed to be doing. You'd write it in your everyday book. So keep one of those. It's for you. It's not something we want to put on display. And again, artists don't help with this because what we do is we do lots of scribbly, drawingy, messy doodles in a book. And then when there's a good one, we take a very carefully framed photo of it and we put it on Instagram. Or we take that little doodle and then make a really nice drawing of it and call it a sketch. <laughs> or we collect them all into a 
carefully uh, curated book and publish it as a sketchbook. And it's all a, <laughs> it, it's all a lie. Uh, <laughs> we hide all of the mess because that is that is how we do work. You know, that's how you. But that's do a bit this. like people's Facebook profiles, aren't they? Very few people will post the screaming child picture on Facebook. It'll be the lovely, happy child on a swing picture. I think we're yeah. all guilty of that, aren't we? In some Absolutely, ways. yes. You know that that is that is what artists have been doing for thousands of years. We are <laughs> we are we are liars. You know we <laughs> we we create. You know, no no one has ever seen all of the wonky chunks of marble that uh, that Michelangelo like wrecked in the process of of making his work. You know, they get swept aside. One of the reasons we we know the great masters as great masters is no one kept the rubbish work. You know, mm. um, Da Vinci screwed up the Last Supper. You know, it's falling to bits because he didn't he didn't paint it at the right time. He just thought he'd bodge it and it'd be fine. Um, I, didn't I mean, know some that. people might argue. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were some people who um, who would argue against me using the word bodge. There, you know, it's still a fantastic piece of art. But um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't whip you know. that in an afternoon. <laughs> oh, absolutely, you know, it's a fantastic piece of art, but it wasn't painted at the right point in the process, and so it's it's damaged and it's it's falling to bits. So everyone makes mistakes. So get a book, make mistakes, do your doodles. Don't worry about showing them to anyone. It's just for you. Um, and if you're not sure where to start, um, just a little shameless plug. You can go to the North Tyneside Art Studio Facebook page where I think there's about 50 odd hours of me um, delivering art for mental health sessions that are about just just having a go, doing a bit of drawing. They're about an hour long each. I've been doing them for a year, so you can go and see how, how ropey the first ones were as well. But they're just about having a go, you know, sit down, do some drawing. If you don't like it, throw it away. What what have you lost? And if people feel that they perhaps need that support with their mental health or are perhaps interested in um, coming along to the art studio, is there is there a process to that or can people just rock up? What, what, what should people do? <laughs> so, so yeah, we have a referral process. Everyone who comes to the studio has been, been kind of referred by a, by a health professional, which sounds very formal and intimidating but it's not at all if you're interested in joining the art studio you want to find out more or you just think maybe art can help you with your mental health if you head to northtinesideartstudio.org.uk you'll find a a fantastic video that our members made about what art has done for them there's a little virtual studio tour so you can look around and see what the space is like and you'll find how to be referred as well so all you'll need to do is make an appointment with your GP, with your psychologist, um, your OT, whoever it is that you're seeing, and just let them know that I'm I'm struggling a bit with my mental health, I'm not feeling great, I think the art studio can help me. Get them to go to that website, there's a button for your referrer to, to click on, they fill out a form, once they have done that, we will get in touch with you to arrange an induction where we talk you through the studio, answer any questions you have, and after that, you'll become a member of the studio. Well, that sounds 
perfect. Thank you so much for setting that out. And thank you for your time today, Michael. It's been fascinating learning about dark arts. It's something that I was aware of, but, you know, and, but didn't know much about. And yeah, the importance of, of arts to mental health as well. I think that's been really interesting. So thank you so much for your time. No problem at all. Thank you very much for having me on. So that was Michael. What did people think? Once again, another doozy. I thought, well done, Alex. That was a really, really good interview. And, and thank you, Michael, because you know there's some really, really interesting things um, going on in there. You know, when you you hear somebody talk about something and it either kind of reframes something for you, it makes you think about it in a completely different way, or it just kind of puts words to things that you'd already thought about, but you'd never really quite, never quite solidified. And that that for me was what what Michael's viewpoint on sort of art and creativity was about. This whole kind of dark art thing and, you know, making art which isn't kind of happy art. You know, it's not kind of trees and pictures of the Priory and bunnies and all that sort of stuff. It's, you know, it's, you have a look at Michael's art, it's, you know, it, it is dark. It's 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 quite gothic and um, brooding and, and all that stuff. So, so where's the happiness in that? So for him to be talking about um, being in that place and experiencing that kind of that ordered flow uh, of creativity to produce it and, and, and talking about the, the process of, of creating it rather than thinking about what's this going to be is, are people going to like this? I'm going to be able to sell this for money. Uh, and you know what that, that focus on making stuff and what it feels like to make stuff and how it's important for all of us. It's not just an art thing. It's, you know, that's, it, it's something which is, is relevant to everybody. Uh, I really, really like that. And he was right to talk about the complexity of happiness. Things like he said, like, you know, happiness and sadness are not opposites. Yeah. Which yeah. really kind of struck home for me. It reminded me of that Pixar film, Inside Out. Yes, I was thinking of that when he was talking about it, actually. Yeah. 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 That sort of co complex side of what, what happiness is. And mm. the other thing I was thinking about was um, it's like love, happiness and love. You know, there are so many different types of love. Um, which we just have one word for, but we sort of know the difference between them. And happiness is kind of the same thing. Like there's mm. loads and loads of different types of it, but we just use one word to talk about it. And maybe that's not helpful. Maybe we need, you know, a different way of talking about it. We've got a little bit close to that with the podcast talking about happiness and contentment. And um, he was talking about sort of things being enjoyable um, versus things being pleasurable and so on. So, you know, you sort of go away from thinking, oh, wow, that was a real brain workout. So thank you, Michael. I really liked that description of the difference between something being pleasurable and enjoyable. Mm. Um, I thought that was really helpful. I, I had to listen um, to that bit a couple of times before I fully took it on board. What did you think, Kath? It was amazing because I know a guy who works in North Tyneside Art Studio who's called Michael Cunliffe. But the guy who was interviewed wasn't the Michael that I knew. I had never seen him as an artist before. It was a complete revelation. I liked his uh, use of the uh, the fridge. You know, <laughs> when do we stop putting people's work up on the fridge? Um, and the art studio doesn't have a big fridge, but they do have uh, exhibition opportunities and, and places for people to display their work if they want to. And I uh, I quite liked that. That idea of uh, North Tides Art Studio having a giant <laughs> fridge to put people's <laughs> yeah. artwork on. Yeah, I think just finally, I think I I quite 
enjoyed just sort of hearing from a new parent perspective um, throughout all of this as well. That's something that's uh, new to our uh, episodes, I think, is uh, hearing from somebody who has had a baby during uh, this pandemic and, and what that's involved. I think that's been a really challenging time for a lot of new parents, um, having a baby without the sort of usual you know, antenatal classes and uh, sorts of things that you would normally go to together and appointments, yeah. um, you know, not being able to go to appointments together and things like that. So uh, it was uh, it was interesting to hear that that point of view as well. But they, they seem uh, pretty settled. He seems to have enjoyed his extended paternity leave. Um, yeah, good yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Michael. That was a, a brilliant interview. So thank you so much for your time. If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we'd love to hear from you. We always love hearing your stories, thoughts, opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidetohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be back spreading more joy and happiness around the North East thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle COVID Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for your support. Next week's episode is with Zara Ravenscroft, who is a senior Marine officer with the Environment Agency. She talks to me about so many fascinating things around the issues of coastal restoration and how the Northeast is leading the way in this area, as well as the importance of blue space to people's well-being. So you'll hear me ask her questions like this. Quite a few of our interviewees on our Geordie guide and our you know northern guide as well have, have talked about the importance of the sea why I mean you might not know the answer to this but you know why do you think that is why do you think people have such a strong desire and connection to be you know near the sea and hear her give answers like this certainly during the last you know 12 plus months it's become really evident not just in the northeast but i sit on some coastal groups so we've seen it across the country as soon as lockdown restrictions lift everybody flocks to the coast and it's really interesting because prior to covid we were um, discussing the health and well-being benefits of blue space and comparing it to that of green space so green space going to sort of you know driving up into Northumberland maybe a national trust property and how that makes you feel and comparing it with blue space so vast open blue space whether that is the sea or say a large tidal estuary or large expanse of water and how that makes you feel and there's some really interesting academic research out there which shows that when you're actually in blue space it's it's much higher so we've reached the end of another episode we hope you've enjoyed listening to the northern guide to happiness so far take care and see you all again next week for another episode (laughs) 